Alright, everybody, welcome to Flyers AD. Here it is Wednesday, May 11, 2022, here. And uh, on the heels of the NHL draft lottery, where the Flyers fall a spot in a really stupid system. And Montreal walks away with the first. New Jersey, of course, hops them for, uh, you know, second overall pick. And uh, Flyers walk away at five now. So, great. Awesome. I guess this is a draft where, you know, the consensus top ten picks or so all seemingly are, you know, relatively similar uh, in terms of projection. So, I guess it's not a terrible thing to fall down one spot this year. But at the end of the day, man, is it a dumb system when the Flyers had more, a better percentage to fall back a spot than they did stay at four or move up in the draft. It's really dumb. Yeah, they they tried to prevent tanking so much and I, I think it may have been you who put this out on twitter that now they've swung too far in the other direction oh it's completely like, insane it's, it's overthought bullshit at this point like montreal they were the team that had the highest percentage chance but wasn't that only at like 19 yeah it's like 18 and a half percent or something like that I remember when the Flyers finished last in 2006-2007, they had, like, a 42% chance. Yeah. Like, it was crazy. Like, I think personally, like, if you finish maybe probably, like, in the bottom five is the high – those are the only teams that could draft first overall. And I think there was actually a point – before the latest, like, update to the system where it seemed like they had found the sweet spot – but, like, let's say in a year, like, 16-17, when the Flyers drafted Nolan Patrick, they jumped from, what, like, 11th to 2nd, or not, if not higher? Was it 13th, like, I think? Yeah, like, that to me is kind of egregious. Yeah. Because, like, imagine, and I don't think they had their first round pick this year, I think it's in Buffalo, but, like, could you imagine if the Vegas Golden Knights would have drafted, would have gotten the first overall pick? Like, it's just, it's not good for the league and i'm not this is not me to say that like the team that finishes last should get the first and 31st should get the second and so on and so forth but like there has to be another system than like the team finishing dead last having a less than one in five chance of getting the first overall pick because at that point it's just like there's a way higher chance that like a team other than them gets it yeah i suggested this on on really pod last night just go the Bottom four teams and shake up the four picks. Give them each a 25% chance at first, then a third chance at second, and then 50-50 third and fourth. You can shake it up a little bit. You're preventing tanking directly, but you're still giving the bad teams an actual chance to win. You know, the Flyers are a bad team, and they got bumped a spot for New Jersey, who I guess they're not great, but they're, you know, further along than the fucking Flyers are, you know. So I guess the, the results weren't outrageous this year. It's not like... You know, the Islanders came back and stole the spot or something crazy. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you finish dead last in the league and you've got an 18% chance of snagging the first overall pick, it's just it's just overthought, overcomplicated bullshit for absolutely no reason at all to prevent tanking when in reality I don't think that happens quite as frequently as, as you know, we'd like to believe. Unless you're the Penguins, of course. In which case, you tank every time there's a goddamn generational talent available. But other than that, you know, I don't know. Just just, just insane. Yeah, and I think that we see now that 
people who want the tank so bad people want the flyers to just completely rebuild and all this and we'll get into like what we th- what i think their actual internal expectations are for next year in a bit but it just goes to show that nothing's guaranteed like look the coyotes just iced a historically embarrassing team i know they technically finished ahead of the canadians but, like, the Canadians, it was because Price wasn't there. Weber walked away, like, all that. But it's, like, they, they went through the overhaul in their front office. But, like, the Coyotes were trying to be this bad. Yeah. Like, they just iced a terrible team. Like, their 1C was Jay Beagle for a bit. <laughs> something crazy like that. And they still didn't even get the first overall. They got the third overall in a draft that... Not to say that it's bad, but there's no generational talent. So let's say they walk away with Logan Cooley. Like, is that worth how bad of a season that they did? Or they had, rather? Is it worth, like, just dreadful hockey? No, obviously, in that market, you can make the case that who really gives a shit, right? Quite literally. They're playing in a fucking college stadium next year. But imagine doing that in Philadelphia where, you know, you tank and you ice just an embarrassing bad product. You wither out all the casual fans. All you have is the diehards who love watching YouTube highlights and making like fake prospect rankings based on nothing in the crowd. And then you walk away with not even the first round pick. It's just... I, I just think the whole idea of tanking came from the years when Pittsburgh got like the first overall, the second overall, and the first overall in three consecutive drafts. Or you had kind of Chicago draft, what was it, Taves third overall and then Kane first overall. Or the, you know, the the Boston Bruins maybe getting Tyler Sagan at the fir- at the second overall pick. or That's not really not a good example, but you know what I mean. I think, like, the, the Blackhawks and the Penguins are, like, the poster boys for, like, the traditional tank. And if the balls fall in your favor, like, the true benefits of it. But that was the old system. Like, we're talking about things that happened 15, 20 years ago now when the Penguins drafted first, second, first, or when the when the Blackhawks drafted third overall and second overall. Like, I just don't think you see those things happen anymore. Like, obviously, you have the New Jerseys of the world, and look at them. They got, what, two first overall picks, and now they're going to have a second overall pick, and it still is no slam dunk. Like, each of the years that they got the two first overall picks, they were kind of in years where there were non-generational talents at the top. Well, maybe in retrospect and hindsight being 2020, you could say Kale McCarr should have gone first overall in 2017. Or I guess the jury's still out on Jack Hughes. Obviously, who knows with this year, I would assume they take Slikovsky second overall. But, I mean, it just goes to show you that it isn't a 100% guarantee that you'll come out better on the other side of a full scorched earth rebuild. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the Rangers, I think, kind of went through that as well with, you know, Capo and uh, Lafreniere, you know, kind of got screwed with uh, the, the, the talent of that year, I guess, acclimating to the NHL. And obviously nothing is a guarantee with the draft picks. And, you know, in, in a year like this when... 
you know, the consensus top 10 picks, as I open the show with, are all kind of, you know, relatively thought of similarly, given their respective roles and, and projections and whatnot. You know, who knows? You know, is Cooley going to be more successful than Sakovsky down the road? Or, you know, who knows? So it is a bit of a gamble, I guess, from from that team. If you're the Devils moving up into that spot, um, you know, much like they did in the... the Patrick Heischer year, you know, you're going to take Patrick, you're going to take Heischer, you know, which one's going to pan out better in the long run, which one's going to do this, and so, I don't know, I just, what a stupid system, this whole thing just really annoys the shit out of me, and I ranted about that on Twitter yesterday, before the lottery, because um, I didn't want to come, wanted to come across as sour grapes that the Flyers got screwed beforehand, because, I mean, this really is a stupid system, regardless of where the Flyers finished, um, and just when you look at the percentages of, of, what team can finish where it's just just complete overthought nonsense that uh you know needs to be reconfigured into a much more simple process that lets the bad teams actually have a chance to to rebuild through the draft well at the risk of sounding like a prospect guru um (laughs) or a fake prospect guru and i guess we kind of have some solid information based on the conversations we've had with mark seidel when we had him on our show at number five, what would be your, I guess, best guess as to who they go with? Also with the assumption that they will take the best player available. Well, I'm not entirely sure uh, who they're going for. I guess it depends on on what anybody else takes. I mean, is Savoy going to be there at that point? Does somebody like Slakovsky fall if the North American skaters go heavy? Is geeky of interest? Are they going to go for a defenseman? You know, maybe Nemich? I have no idea. Um, my personal favorite is Luca Del Bell Baluz, just because of that fucking name is incredible. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about the fucking guy. But uh, if we're picking on names alone, that's my pick. <laughs> yeah, I... I obviously staying in a relatively realistic world like i don't see obviously i think Wright's gonna go first i think cooley will go ahead like simon nemich i feel like someone's gonna pounce on a right shot defenseman slikovsky seems to have the highest upside and look i'm basing this on information i was told by seidel and other people much more privy to it than i so don't don't think that i'm presenting myself as some prospect guru i'm not but I, I I do think for where they are, Savoy would probably be their best guess. Like, Geeky is obviously a little attractive because of how big he is. But at that at that high of a pick with five, I think Geeky would be somewhat of a reach. Savoy would be good. Obviously, Joachim Kemmel is someone who Mark Seidel had him ranked, I think, in the top five. He's ranked nine at the list I'm looking at here. He's very talented. Obviously, you have a guy like Juracek, the big right shot defenseman. But again, like I kind of get scared with bigger players and taking them that high in the draft because it's just like once they play against men, how dominant are they going to be? Like is Juracek just going to be like a solid stay at home bottom pair defenseman? You know, like there's always that risk. I think we saw that like with Lawson Krause when he went ninth overall in 2015. Isaac Cliff. Isaac Ratcliffe like and remember Mark Seidel had brought that up that like the way to go about the draft now is prioritizing skill and then you could trade for big bodies not to say that always works because you know if someone finds like a Tom Wilson or a Josh Anderson who are just big trucks who can play in the top six if not top top line then yeah like if you find that diamond in the rough you're not going to hang on to him 
But for typical third, fourth line big bodies who could give you solid shifts and reduce roles, you can find that on the open market. Like we've seen Tampa do that time and time again. Like we saw them trade for Barkley Goudreau and Blake Coleman. We saw them trade for Nick Paul this year. I just don't know if drafting a guy so high based on his skill set, his primary skill rather, in his skill set being how much bigger he is than everyone else would be the way to go. And I think with guys like Giracek and Geeky, that's kind of like the situation they find themselves in. Yeah, I'm all for drafting skill-based at this point. Um, I think if there's one lesson we can take away from the Hextall era, it's that, you know, drafting the bigger body two-way guys, you know, playing conservative like that doesn't really work out for you. Um, you know, the Terinskys and Bunnemans of the world and Stroms and Shushkos and Ratcliffs, you know, that uh, kind of built their reputation with their big physical bodies, you know, in the 16-year-old world, you know, it just didn't... Uh, it didn't materialize, and I think that's one thing that so far the Flyers have done a good job of with Flair and Fletcher is is drafting for talent and potential and, you know, going for the Bobby Brinks of the Worlds and, you know, even players like Adderd who do have a bigger form but have the offensive upside. flair. Yeah, the, 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 the potential offensive upside that he has, you know, you're drafting that in later rounds and... You know, the Elliott Desnoyers and things like that. When you're taking a risk in the later rounds, the fifth round in that case, you know, as a potential offensive guy. And he's been very, very good in juniors. He makes the jump to the professional level next year. So we shall see, you know, how he fares, I would assume, in the AHL. And if he can, you know, capture some of that offensive talent at the at the professional level, all of a sudden, like, you're dealing with a huge diamond in the rough and a potential, you know, offensive contributor for the Flyers for years to come. So, you know, I, I definitely favor... Uh, drafting, ta- you know, drafting pure raw skill at this point versus trying to play conservative and look for those you know, 200 foot guys because we've been there and done that and it did not work the first time. And look, the the thing is, is like I'm not gonna lie, like I see a six foot six centerman like more my junk Kirk wiggles Connor a little bit, yeah, yeah, and I'm just like, damn, like imagine if he actually pans <laughs> out. Like I look at like what Tage Thompson's doing right now with yeah. the Buffalo Sabers. Like, that is such a beneficial guy to have. Like, do you remember, like, peak Evgeny Malkin yeah, when he yeah. would just come barreling down the middle of the ice and, like, no one could stop him? But the thing is, is that are you going to draft a guy with the hopes that he becomes, you know, that one in a million chance? Obviously, I'm exaggerating substantially here, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. As opposed to a guy like Savoy, who's five foot nine and it's becoming more and more of a little man's game obviously has more skill than a guy like Connor Geeky. So, like, I, I just keep coming back to Savoy because he seems to be on most projections in, like, that four to seven range. And unless everyone goes with forwards, I feel like he'll be available to the Flyers. But again, like, is everyone going to go with forwards? Like, I think the the Canadians will take Shane Wright, and then you get to the Devils. I could see them taking Slikovsky. And then when you get to the cares, the the Coyotes and the the Kraken, you really don't know because they could use anything. To be quite honest yeah, with yeah. you, like the Coyotes could use a Cooley, the Kraken could use a, a Savoy, but then you have a right shot defenseman like Simon Nemich, like and even a guy like that would be beneficial to the Flyers. Although I still do feel, and again, you always have to go with best player available. You can't ba- draft based on position at this high, but. I do feel like the need for the Flyers is much more so down the middle. Like, if you feel like Nemich and Savoy are on par in terms of talent, I think you kind of have to go with a centerman. Now, 
if Savoy is gone and Cooley's gone and the best centerman that you could take is, I guess, this guy Nazar or Lekurimaki or other names I can't pronounce properly, <laughs> maybe you just go with a Simon Nemich. But I, I just feel like if a, if a Savoy or by some grace of God a Cooley is there, like you kind of just have to go with it. Yeah. I don't think you can turn down a Nemec at this point. Like, the Flyers do desperately need a top right-handed defenseman in their system right now, which they do not have. But, you know, they need a center just as bad, if not worse. Um, you know, a young, promising, up-and-coming guy with, you know, a, a pretty high ceiling. So I would assume if it comes down to them picking at five with Savoy and Nemec both on the board, I would assume Savoy's their guy. Um, at least they would hope. But, you know, again, I don't think I would be overly angry at Nemec either, just because they do need some help um, in that category for the coming few years here. They really don't have anybody in the system um, to to fill that role immediately. Uh, the uh, So, you know, we shall see, I guess. But, uh, you know, like I said, it looks like most of these picks here, you know, six, seven, eight, should be all relatively within the same realm and just a matter of how the pieces ultimately fall on drafting. So we're going to see them drafting fifth overall, and we're also going to await a new head coach being hired. Yep. And Barry Trotkin can, what was it, Monday? Yep, Obviously Monday. was a, a huge thing out of left field, at least for me. Obviously, it was talked about a lot on Twitter, but for you, is he a guy that you just go full steam ahead for? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you offer that guy whatever the hell he wants, uh, if it means getting him here. And we talked at length last week about the coaching and you know none of the guys i think overly stand out whether it's a a maurice or a you know tortorella or kirk muller or jim montgomery you know they all feel relatively about the same they're all going to be guys maybe slightly above average coaches but you know they're going to wear out their welcome and everyone's going to fucking hate them in a few months like i i just think at the end of the day they're good but not great like trots is one of those guys that has the potential to be a game changer like, he's a guy that can you know overhaul this team by himself kind of thing and with that present, and we talked about how important it's going to be for them to hire a coach for the long term, not somebody that you're going to turn on in 18 months from now and fire them. You know, somebody that can be here for three, four, five years, you know, see their contract through and turn this team around and get their fingerprints on. Like, Trotz is that kind of guy. And, you know, I think a lot of guys are going to want his services. I guess there's word of whether Trotz even wants to consider coaching next year. Uh, you know, who knows? But listen. If he's willing to pick up the phone and listen to whatever the Flyers have to offer, this is where Dave Scott can put his freaking blank check where his mouth is and, you know, offer him whatever he wants because, uh, you know, this is a guy that could be a legitimate difference maker for this franchise. Yeah, there's also rumors that he might want to get into management or something. Yeah. And, I mean, look, that wouldn't be a difference maker for me if he wants to be fucking assistant GM part three here in Philly. Like, you give him what he wants. But, uh no, he's a guy that I think would legitimize this team. He would be someone who could finally put instill some defensive structure, although I still do think they had that in the first year of Alain Vigneault. But you have a guy who has a proven track record, has won a cup, has won two um, Jack Adams trophies, I believe. Uh, I, I just think that he's a guy that you simply cannot pass on. You really cannot pass on. Now, if he tells you, I'm not interested, well, then that's a whole different story, and you're back to square one. 
But I don't think he's a guy that you can solely get if you're ready to win a cup like a lot of people have brought up. Like, I, I think a lot of people think too much between, like, it's either black or white. You get a guy that's ready to develop or you get a guy that's ready to win a cup. Like, yeah. not every coach falls in that mix. I think Paul Maurice is another guy, obviously not on the same level as Barry Trotz. But I think Paul Maurice is another guy who kind of falls in that tier that he can do both. I like p- for me, Peter Laviolette is a win now coach. Alain Vigneault is a win now coach. You're not bringing these guys in to develop, but a trots and to a lesser extent, Paul Maurice, like it doesn't mean like, oh, well, now they're they're going to try and win a cup next year. Like they're not like I could tell you with decent certainty that they are not going into next season playing to win a Stanley Cup. Now, do I think that they're going into next season trying to tank like the Coyotes or like the Toronto Maple Leafs did or the Sabres back uh, five, six, seven years ago? No, I don't think that to be the case either. But at the same time, I don't think that this team is going to, and we made, and we talked about this last week, I don't think this team is going to be trading prospects or trading high draft picks to get win now players. I don't think that by any stretch they want to be a bottom feeder, but I don't think that they're going to be trying to win the Stanley Cup at all costs. And I think you got you bring in a guy like Barry Trotz who can grow with this team for a year or two or three. I don't see how you pass on that. Yeah, I, I, I think it's about instilling a system. And, you know, I, I brought this up as well. Like, look at the players on this roster right now. You have Sean Gutierrez locked up till the fucking end of time at this point. You got Kevin Hayes locked up for, what, four more years, three more years, whatever the fuck it is. Long time, regardless. And you got a blue line that has a lot of talent that has just seemingly lost their way over the last little while. I even over of, and if Ellis comes back, and Ristolainen, like... A defensive coach should theoretically enjoy what the Flyers have a base of right now. And if you have a guy that can get the most out of a Sean Couturier and Ivan Provorov, you know, excelling the pieces that are already on this roster, and then you add in guys like Forrester and Desnoyers and Savoie, you know, over the next few years, all of a sudden maybe you have something here. You know, I think finding a coach that can make something of this current roster rather than letting the inmates run the asylum like happened under AV, you know, that's important. And, you know, as you alluded to, coaching is not so black and white. You know, I don't think Trotz is perceived as a finisher, a closer, you know, somebody that's going to come in and, and win him in the cup within a year or two. Like, I do think this is a guy that can turn him around. He did it with the Capitals, and ultimately they did win a cup with the guy. He did it with the Islanders. They did not win a cup, but I mean, look what he did with them in one season, you know. Like, this is the kind of guy that, if you want some stability for the Flyers, you want some accountability from a roster perspective, like, this is the guy that I'm putting my eggs in the basket of. And I hope, I hope, I hope that the Flyers make a legitimate run at him, hopefully getting him, but if we come to find out that they didn't even talk to the guy, like, I'm going to lose my shit. I think they're at least going to talk to him. Like, I, I don't see how you don't at least kick tires. Like, I think they know, and by they I mean, like, Chuck Fletcher and his management group knows that this is their final coaching hire, for better or for worse. And I, I that's why, like, I know a lot of people are talking about Jim Montgomery. You've heard kind of like David Quinn, maybe to a lesser extent, like uh, Travis Green. I just I don't know if you could go with that coach. I really don't know if you could go with that type of coach here. And they don't have the luxury of doing something like that. 
You gotta and, you gotta hire a, a sure thing, regardless, a, a sure thing veteran, whether it's a Maurice or or you know Tortorella or Claude Julien, you know something like that, somebody with some kind of established success at the NHL level. I just don't think they can go off the board with a crazy hire right now. Well, like let's say like they try their damnedest to get trots, but they get one of Maurice or Torts. If you get one of those three, are you content with it? Yeah. Even John Tortorella. Yeah. Because he would have been my of, first choice, but at this point, you know, I don't particularly care who they hire, but it does need to be one of the the, the, the veterans of the free agent pile, yeah. So you can't go and hire, like, because I've heard Jim Montgomery a lot, like, his name seems to be coming up, but, like, I just, like, I don't know if, well, you said it, they don't have the luxury to go in with a maybe right now. And that's yeah. not to say that Jim Montgomery's a maybe, but, like, I just, I don't want another situation. And look, I think if this coach gets fired within the next year or two, that means that Fletcher's going. But like, I'm just tired of this carousel behind the bench. And again, obviously I was a fan of AV, not so much of Mike Yo, but I could say objectively that both of them were dealt shitty hands. Here. Yeah. I don't, I don't think ever either of them were done properly. And then you could go back to like, even to Scott Gordon, like I didn't hate Scott Gordon, or even a Dave Haxall didn't think he was a great coach, thought that he should have been fired back in 2017. But I could also say that we probably have such poor memories of him primarily because he was kept so far past his expiration date. Like, fuck, if Ron Hexel never got fired, he'd still be here, for God's sake. Yeah, that's true. So, like... I just I'm so tired of having a team that like always a different coach and blaming the coach and it's the coach's fault. Like, again, this isn't me absolving coaches of blame, but like at a certain point, you have to look at something else here. And I don't think that all these coaches were to blame. And I, like I said last week, there's a strong correlation between successful teams and, you know, stability behind the bench. Yeah. You know, the, the 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 Tampa Bay Lightning of the world are not caring who's, you know, coaching the team. They're more concerned about putting a powerhouse on the ice. You know, and it's just, they got to make this next one count. And I think that's where, you know, you find a veteran guy to make it happen. And and if they were winning, if they were in a better scenario, if they parted ways with AV and Mike Yao under better terms, you know, Maybe you could afford somebody like Montgomery or a Kirk Muller or some other, you know, guy with lesser experience. But right now, like, whoever you hire here, like, you got to make this one count. <laughs> you got to hire him with the full intention of seeing his time on the bench through. You know, maybe you don't sign him to a fucking five-year deal because that never works out. But, you know, at least, like, three years. You need a coach that can stay behind this bench for three years and, and make something of this current group of players. and Or, you know, a different group of players, depending on how you want to play your cards with that one moving forward. But, you know, you just you got to make this coaching higher count. And with somebody like Trotz available, I mean, you already passed on the guy once a few years ago. Like, don't make that mistake twice. It's true. He he went to. Did he go to Washington the first year of Dave Haxtell? I believe so. I remember that. That was like such a hiring of left field. But again, at the time, I didn't really care. Like I remember as soon as they hired Dave Haxtell, I had said to myself, like, okay, this is not going to be the coach when they're ready to win a cup. Obviously, I didn't know Ron Haxtell's obsession with him, but. I think that this is a point now for this organization that, and we could kind of transition now to like talk about like 
where we see this organization going. And obviously, people want a full teardown. They think the Flyers are delusional and going to win a cup. I don't think that this team is as delusional as people think they are. I just think that they're at a point now, and this is also an indictment on the organization. I think that based on the moves that were made last summer and primarily last summer by extending Sean Couturier, trading for Ristolainen and subsequently re-signing him, Ryan Ellis, that type of trade, bringing in a guy like Cam Atkinson, like I don't think that they're in a position where doing a full scorched earth teardown would be beneficial. And I don't know if it'd be successful, but I also don't think that they're in a position where they say, okay, we're one or two players away. I know Chuck keeps referencing 2019-20 and people are very upset about that. But I think that he references is that because they went into that season with not a lot of expectations. And like we broke down last off, uh, last week, rather, he didn't really mortgage the future in any way when he brought in guys like Braun and Niskanen and Kevin But he gave Kevin up two Hay. picks for Braun. Oh, my God. The people are still the angry about all these. Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> he doesn't do zone exits well. Like, oh, shut the fuck up, man. And then it was actually, I forget who it was. It might have been Alex Appleyard, who I usually disagree with. But I remember he was kind of the voice of reason where he's just like, well, the Flyers had trouble defending the rush, and that's what Braun is excellent as at. So yeah. anyway, um, he, I have no nothing bad to say about Justin Braun. That guy was absolutely a warrior when he was here. But I think that you're going to see a lot of additions this summer. I think we're going to see them try and become a playoff team. But I don't think that's going to be at the expense of trying to, how do you say? I don't think that's going to be at the expense of the future. And I look at the Toronto Maple Leafs when their second year, let's say, of a full scorched earth rebuild. Or I think it was more the, it was like the second slash third year because like the first year when Shanahan got there, he kept a lot of the old guard in place. So 14-15 was kind of like an evaluation period. 15-16 is when you brought in a guy like Mike Babcock, you brought in Lou Lamorello, and you kind of had that first full regime. And then the second year, the full scorched earth rebuild, or coming out of it at that point, you had guys like Matthews and Marner show up onto the scene. And they made the playoffs that year in 2017. They got bounced in, I believe, six games by the Washington Capitals, but they made the playoffs. And I believe that was the the um, the trade deadline where they tra- traded for Brian Boyle, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and a lot of people were upset about that because they were saying like, oh, you know, this is a team that they're still young. You shouldn't be mortgaging the future. You know, Nylander and uh, Matthews and Marner, and, which is all true. We're seeing how good those players are now. But I remember people talking about it, pundits talking about it, that the fact that Marner and Matthews and not so much Neilander because I think Neilander showed up before those guys. He was drafted in 2014. The fact that those guys have made the playoffs in each every, each and every single year since coming into the league helped their development. It helped the culture in the room. Now, look, the Leafs still have a long way to go. They're one game away from moving on to the second round here, and they've been largely disappointing. But 
you've seen how good those guys have become. And I don't know if the players that are already on the Flyers team, like younger guys like Joel Farabee, or if they decide to keep him, Travis Konechny, or Morgan Frost, or even Sanheim, and now you have guys like Cam York, Carter Hart. How is it going to affect those guys if you ice another talk, another team for another year that isn't a playoff team? And I think that people really kind of diminish what a losing culture can do to certain players. And how tuned out certain guys can get. And I think we saw that with oh, Giroud. We saw Gordon. it firsthand of this season. Yeah. Yeah. With, and... with pretty much everybody, actually. Giroud being one of them. But, I mean, everybody in the roster. I mean, fuck, the last two months of the season were some of those painful bits of hockey we've ever had to watch. And it's because everyone was checked out and tuned out because they know they were fucking dead last in the league. You know? They were tuned out. They didn't give a shit. They're just skating corpses out there at that point. Like, that has to suck. You know, as much as I don't particularly care for this group of players, like when you're put in this environment, you know, what I as a fan sitting on my couch hate turning the fucking TV on just to watch them play. I can't imagine how much they hate themselves out there having to just skate through the rest of the season like that. It's got to be brutal. Well, did we not even see that with Giroux and Voracek to a certain extent? Yeah. Like, by the, like for me, I remember 2017-18 where they turned the clock back and Giroux put up... 102 points and Voracek put up 85 points and Simmons I think he still scored like 28 goals that year and they looked like a good hockey team and they were but then the trade deadline comes and goes and they trade for Peter Morazic who <laughs> by the time that the playoffs came around he was what their third string goalie yep they didn't add a set they didn't add a forward they didn't add a defenseman and then you go into the summer of 2018 and yeah, they signed JVR, but you go into the next year with Provorov and McDonald on your top pair, Boss, Beer, and Gudis in your top four, Brandon Manning kicking around. I believe that was the year they signed um, Christian Folan. Was that the guy that yeah. they signed from LA? You know, your, your one, two, three center punch down the middle is fucking Couturier, Vorobiev, and Nolan Patrick. You still have Brian <laughs> Eldy and Michael Neuverth. God, I forgot about Misha Vorobiev. Yeah, then you have Brian Elliott and Michael Neuverth, who both got hurt. I think that was the year that, like, by, like, December, they had played, like, nine. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Calvin Pickard, Anthony Stolarz. Mike uh, McKenna. Mike McKenna. So, and that year, if I'm not mistaken, you, I think Giroux still put up 85 points, and he played a lot of center that year, too. I believe Voracek had a good season as well. I can't remember how many points he put off at the top of his head. But, like, 17, 18, and 18, 19 were the years you had to strike with that group. And they were, you know, 17, 18 was a successful year. The best season under, Dave ha- uh, under Ron Hextall and Dave Hextall but they got their asses kicked in the playoffs because their GM didn't add anything and didn't care about winning. And then the following year, they were worse because they did the subtract the addition by subtraction approach and they didn't even make the playoffs. So by the time AV got here and Fletcher got here and added guys like Hayes and Niskan and Braun, that losing culture had already kind of set in. And we saw that in the 2020 bubble. I was talking about that with some people last night that it's so crazy to think that entering the 2020 bubble, they were the odds-on favorite to win the Stanley Cup, especially after the round robin, and how much things have fallen since then. And I think that's because of a losing culture. 
And obviously we're not in the room, so we can't say definitively. But I just think that the constant losing and poor product put on the ice by management under the Hextall years affected guys like Giroux and Voracek. So what do you think would happen to the current crop of young players if Fletcher does the same thing? Yeah, I I think, you know, everyone's clamoring for a flaw and rebuild. And the reality is that's just not going to happen. You know, the organization doesn't want it. Uh, The fans, as much as they say they want it, they really don't. Nobody wants to sit through fucking another decade of losing, you know. But I also don't think they're going to be as trigger happy as they sounded, you know, with Dave Scott in January, you know. I agree. You don't need to panic sign a Nazim Kadri anymore. You know, like, you can kind of take your foot off the gas a little bit. What I ultimately think happens this year is you get a lot of change. And I think that summer of 2019 is probably a good comparison for that. You know, for your Gudis for Niskanen. I think you're going to see deals like that quite a bit on this team. You know, if you go uh, Travis Konechny for uh, Brock Besser, you know, just as an example. Something like that. Like, you're just going to start arranging the deck chairs a little bit. But look for players that have a better potential. There's just no way you can run it back with this exact same roster again. You know, like, there are going to be changes that happen to point this team in a new future direction. But they're not going to be cup contenders. I think they're, you know, if everyone stays healthy, if you get the Katurian Ellis back, like, that alone is going to be a big boost. And, you know, I know know people don't want to fucking hear that. And quite frankly, neither do I. But it's just true. You know, if Ryan Ellis can stay healthy all season long with Provorov, like, all of a sudden, like, that alone is going to be a big boost to this team. And if you can add a couple players to that thing, you know, Maybe they go after Gaudreau. I think it would still be in their best interest to try and find somebody that is capable of producing some goddamn offense on this team. You know, that would be high on the priority list still, whether that comes in Gaudreau or make a trade someone. But, you know, I think we're going to be thoroughly underwhelmed by the offseason moves, even though quite a few of them happen. But I do think the end game is going to be a better product next season, but not quite up at the position of... of true contenders yet and i agree with you because what would be the harm in signing a guy like val nichushkin this summer let's say be aside from the fact that he's better than leon dreisaitl yeah but <laughs> all joking aside i like valerie nichushkin and i always have or you know adding a, def- a depth guy like jan ruda or, you know, as far as the centers go, I don't really know what they're going to do. I don't really want to touch any of the free agent centers because I think we saw with Kevin Hayes that when you try and sign, you know, a top six center in free agency, you're paying top dollar. And I don't think Kadri or Vincent Trocek warrant that kind of money. So, like, maybe you trade a Travis Konechny for another young centerman. And, you know, even if you give up some age and you bring in a guy like Shifley in favor of Konechny just to help the short term, you know, I don't think Travis Konechny, and again, like, I don't think he's a terrible hockey player, but I don't I do. think he's the... <laughs> I just don't think you like his fanboys. I think that's... Well, the, that doesn't issue. help. Yeah. And uh, I just think that, you know, he's not the crux between a successful organization going forward or not. No. You know, because you have guys like Forster and Brink and Atkinson is still in the roster and Wade Allison, if he ever gets healthy. I think Zade Wisdom's more of a right wing than a center. Yeah. Like, 
I think that if you moved on from a guy like Travis Konechny for Mark Scheifele, yes, you're giving up age, but you're putting on a winning team in the here and now without really sacrificing the future. And that kind of and those kind of guys, I think Fletcher mentioned that they need more guys in like the 28, 29 range. So, you know, I don't think that if you have a summer like that, it would be all that bad because you're not really giving up anything. Yeah, maybe you give Chushkin a bit more than he's worth on the open market. But again, you know, he's just turned 27. You're going to have three seasons of this guy where he's in his 20s. You know, obviously probably benefiting from a Colorado team, but, you know, 52 points in 62 games. Like, you bring a guy like... We Jan- all know 52 points is Wayne Gretzky level production here, so... <laughs> in in 82 games on plus. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think that if you bring in guys like that and you put on a team... And you put a team forward... That even if they make the playoffs, like I know people say like, okay, like we don't want to make the playoffs just to get their asses kicked. And, I, and I'm in full of greens here. But let's say you make the playoffs next year and you lose in seven games of the first round. You put up a good fight, but you don't give up any of your assets. And then in 2023, 2024, you have a guy like Savoy who's maybe ready to make the jump now. And then you draft a guy, you know, in the top. 20 next year in a very deep draft who he can maybe come in sooner rather than later. Forster's ready. You have a guy like Cam York who now is a stable top four defenseman full-time in the league. Whoever the hell else you have in your system, like Bobby Brink is a full-time NHL or maybe Forster's up by that time. Maybe Den Y.A. kicks around. I think the Flyers have a strong enough group of young players here that a full scorched earth rebuild would kind of be counterintuitive because they're not as far away as people think. They just need one of these players to hit as a top prospect or a top player. And obviously that's easier said than done. But at the same time, like maybe they get that this year with a guy like Savoy or a guy like Kemmel or whoever that may be. And as long as they don't give up like a first round pick or a second round pick or a top prospect this summer, I don't see how making additions to make the team better on the ice would necessarily be a bad thing. It's about finding some kind of stability. And there was a Breer quote uh, he delivered at one of his press conferences. Sometimes you have a bad season and you have to take advantage of that. Like, I fully believe they're going into this draft and they're not going to trade any of their picks. They wouldn't even surprise me if they somehow trade back into the second round. You know, get what they can this year reassess in the summer and and put out a team like they just can't be afraid to trade away some of these guys that have been here forever you know Konechny and Provorov have been here you know next year's season will be season seven Sanheim's been here five years Lindblom's been here five years like it's time to start moving on from some of these guys they're clearly not going to get you the win but you know, I don't think it's go time yet. I don't think we're going to see anything overly crazy as much as it disappoints me that they're not going to make a big trade for Alex Cat or, you know, Matthew Chuck or something crazy. I just don't, I don't think they're ready for that yet. I think this year it's about swapping some of the deck chairs, get rid of Konechny, get rid of, you know, whoever, you know, finding some other guys that can come in that, 
better positionally fit the team if it's a connecting for Shifley. You know, getting rid of an excess winger, which you have a dozen of on this current roster, and adding a center that can play in your middle six. You know, like that is a that alone is a huge upgrade to this team going into next season. And if you make multiple moves like that, you you're good as for Niskanen's and finding a guy like Justin Braun relatively cheap. You know, in this case, it may be a Jan Ruda. You know, that goes a long way to establishing yourself next year. And if you return back into the bubble scene, which doesn't seem impossible, hopefully the Metro Division is not out of reach by November again, you know, like it was this year. It's absolutely insane how fast the division got out of reach. But, you know, if you can just kind of reestablish yourself, get to a bubble team, make it to the first round, and yes, I have no interest in seeing the Flyers get their teeth kicked in by the fucking Florida Panthers in the first round next year. But... It also doesn't make a lot of sense to quote unquote rebuild and tear it down. Like, oh, we got a tank for Bedard. And it's like, we really just saw this draft lottery and you want to try that again? You know, with how bad the Flyers were this year, they were not even close to finishing dead last in the league. You're going to, you know, tank, uh, quote unquote, tank a whole other season of losing for an 18% chance at a first round pick, a first overall pick. Like, that, I don't know. That doesn't do it for me. I'd rather start building towards the future. If you can build a competitive team next year, at least semi competitive team, and you let Forrester and Desnoyers and Wisdom and Whoever else make the jump to the AHL, you start to weed out who's good or not. Maybe Allison makes the jump to the NHL full-time. Lazinski makes the jump. You know, you kind of start assessing who's on this current roster while simultaneously putting on a good product. And then in 23-24, you can finally say, all right, Forrester's ready. Dane is ready. You know, maybe Lazinski and Frost fall out of favor between now and then. You know, you get to kind of pick and choose how you assemble your roster moving forward. So that's what I would assume is the most likely scenario here whether we like it or not well if you made a trade where you swap let's say frost and connect for shifley and a second round pick in this year's draft deal. would that be a bad thing no i'm but, making that deal but, 10 out of 10 times because then you get a second round pick in this year's draft which is something you need and then you add a guy like shifley who i think adding a player like shifley and this is the part where i think people get obsessed with like the like the players are robots and it's a video games it's a video game rather but could you imagine what it would do for a player like joel farabee to play with a center like mark shifley like i I think that that's the type of guy that would help a guy like joel farabee like you put shifley in the middle of let's say atkinson and farabee because atkinson and farabee kind of played together a lot this year that's a pretty exciting top line. And then you have a second line, maybe all defense of, I don't know, who, who you could have. You could have, let's say, like Lawton with Couturier and Owen Tippett. And then on the third line, you have like Noah Cates with Kevin Hayes and whoever that maybe Wade Allison makes the jump next year. And then you have a fourth line of whoever, Lazinski or let's say Lazinski, Brown and Zach McEwen or Ratcliffe and Lazinski and McEwen, whatever. Look, that's not a fucking Stanley Cup contender by any means, but you've made a better hockey team with better center depth that would probably age your wingers while not really sacrificing that much of the future. And then if you get a healthy Ryan Ellis and you have Provrov and Ellis and Sanheim and Ristolainen and York with Jan Ruda or... Uh, Ilya Labushkin or Mike P- or Mark Pissick, one of those types of defensemen, maybe you're on to something. 
And again, is that a cup contending team? No, it's not. But it probably makes the NHL. Uh, it makes the NHL. I would hope it makes the NHL. <laughs> it probably makes the uh, the playoffs. It probably competes in the in in the playoffs without embarrassing themselves. And you've done nothing to really mortgage the future. You've done all you've done is tr- the biggest asset you would have moved to bring in one of these guys is a f- centerman who you drafted five years ago in Morgan Frost. And and Travis Konechny, like, look, Travis Konechny is going to be 26 soon. And I have nothing against Travis Konechny as, I let's do. say, a second-line winger. Fuck I Travis know you, you guys should go into hell in a cell, Matt. <laughs> <That's what you laughs> uh, with Baker Mayfield as his fucking guest manager. But uh, Baker Mayfield, Baker Wheeler. Wheeler. <laughs> don't want to give him too much credit here. But, look, again... That's not a Stanley Cup contender by any stretch, but I think it's a vastly better product, a vastly better team. You're icing a team that wouldn't be a bottom feeder and affect the mentality of some of the young guys you have on that team, like a Cates, like an Allison, like a Farabee, like a Tippett, like a York, even a Carter Hart, if if Ivan Fedotov is the backup next year. like These are guys that would not have to deal with a team that's destined to finish at the bottom of the league. And then you could build off that without having given up any assets. Like, I don't know. I would. Oh yeah. And I said that if you draft, if you sign Val Nichushkin, so you throw him on a line somewhere. So like, I don't see the big issue with making moves of that sort. Like you move, you bring in guy like Mark Shifley, you sign a Ruta Nichushkin, and everything else stays equal. What's the harm in that? I like your original point of that that tangent was getting Shifley to help Joel Farabee. And that's one of those things that needs to be of the utmost importance in the very near future is finally finding a center that can get the most out of Joel Farabee. I I think this is a guy who oozes potential, but has just never been with people that can draw the best out of him. You know, and he's hitting, you know, he had 17 goals and 34 points this year playing with who? Derek Broussard, you know, 20 goals last season. Like if you can find a guy with some offensive potential and stick him in Fairby with Atkinson all season long and everyone stays healthy and good to go, like I think Fairby may be the 30 goal scorer on this team. You know, it is not like me to hype up anybody on this fucking current roster, but I think if you, this is the guy who, if you can put him in a position to succeed with other good hockey players, which he's not had a whole lot of in his career so far, like, I, I'm pretty sure, like, you can cash in on Farabee's potential. And, you know, what? he's younger, he's, what, 22? You know, like, that's the guy I would much rather them invest in rather than running back with it again with somebody like Konechny, who we've tried and failed for fucking six years now. And I also think that we've talked about this before. If you're going to make a big trade to bring in a top six centerman, the only two players, unless you're looking to move on from an Ivan Provorov, in terms of forwards, the only two forwards that could get you that player is are Farabee and Konechny. Yeah. And of those two guys, which one would you rather hang on to? Um, Joel Farabee. Exactly. So <laughs> That would be an interesting it, poll, Twitter poll. Who would you rather trade? Fair, you know, I'm going to put that up right now. Let's see what happens. No, you're going to cause a riot is what you're going to do. Oh, me? Never. Rather trade. Question mark. Poll. Therapy. <laughs> oh, I can feel the anger already. <laughs> Tweet. <laughs> 
see what happens. Do you think Lazinski's like a slam dunk for next year? I would hope so. I don't know what his ceiling is. I still think it's relatively low, but let me tell you what. I really liked him when he came back with two good hips this year. <laughs> he actually looked like a you know a, a competent hockey player. So I think you can stick him in the bottom six for a center, especially when you need him. Like I think he could you know pretty easily overtake Patrick Brown for that role, um, and you know at least give him an opportunity. I, I think there's more than enough reason there to to give him another year i believe he's a restricted free agent this summer so we shall see how that pans out but uh you know i would assume he gets at least a good look to make the nhl roster and start the season so i just threw up like i was just typing this what about this lineup with and this wouldn't be like um this isn't out of the realm of possibility but let's just let me say this lineup and tell me what you think farabee shifley atkinson Nachushkin, Katori, Tippett, Lawton, Hayes, Allison, Cates, Lazinski, McEwen. Is that awful? It's better than what we're dealing with now. And to bring it and to make moves to, you know, put this lineup together, you're not really giving up all that much. For the most part, yeah. Like, okay, you would have to dump guys like JVR and Limblom, and I guess we could kind of touch on Limblom. What do you think ultimately happens with him? I, I don't know. I would assume at this point he gets traded just for salary reasons. Uh, $3 million to a bottom six winger just, you know, it's, it's, it's a, I don't know, especially when he's, as nondescript as he is, it's hard to justify at this point, especially if you are making other changes. Um, you know, I, I like Lindblom. I know a lot of people have kind of turned on him. He, he wore out a lot of the good grace he had when he came back from his cancer. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think it is safe to say that they've kind of tried him everywhere and he just doesn't fit. You know, he... he he doesn't possess enough offensive potential to warrant a top six winger spot. And he's his salary, his salary, you know, is a pain in the ass at 3 million. He does only have one more year on it. So I guess they could ride it out if they really want to, depending on what their overall approach is. But, you know, he's just not, there's just not enough dynamic ability in his game to put him in the bottom six more often than not. Like we've seen him. He just completely fails on the fourth line. Every time he gets put down there, you know, I think at best he's kind of a third line winger who has a decent two way game, but you know, doesn't possess the overall uh, talent at either forward or the defensive side of his game to, to warrant a overall regular slot. And I really do like him. And I've often compared him to Michael Roffle in that sense where, you know, he can play anywhere and not look overly out of place, but I just don't think he's the overall Swiss army knife that, that, that Roffle was. And that's not, you know, I don't know. I really like the guy. I, I can appreciate what he's been through and what he's going through. And I definitely think that has affected his career in ways that none of us oh, will ever time. know, you know, uh, from a physical standpoint. But, you know, I, I think we're just kind of at a point where from a sheer financial standpoint, $3 million to your fourth line winger, when you already have Scott Lawton, you know, basically playing the same role in a much better capacity just does not make a lot of sense. I And I think, like you said, Scott Lawton is that Swiss Army knife. And look, if I want to have a left winger with, let's say, Hayes and Wade Allison, do you want Scott Lawton or do you want Oscar Lindblom? Lawton. If you, 
if you want a left winger with Tanner Lazinski and Zach McEwen, do you want Noah Cates or do you want Oscar Limplom? Noah Cates. If you want a top six left wing to play with Shifley or Sean Couturier, do you want, and you have to pick two of these three, do you want Farabee, Val Nichushkin, and Oscar Limblom? Definitely Farabee. I guess Nichushkin, if I was had to. <laughs> so I, and I just, where does that leave him? And it pains me to say, but it's like, he's kind of in this weird in between, between not quite good enough to play in the top six and just not the right style to play in the bottom six. And you have a salary that says you should at least be like $3 million to me. It's like, you should probably be like an exceptional third line winger. And he's not like, and like, like in an ideal world with the salaries that they're paying these guys, like Limblom and Lawton should be good shut down third line guys, but they kind of, check the same box although Lawton does it a bit better because Lawton can play in the middle and I think that when Lawton's on the wing he's just an overall better player like I think Lawton on the wing is a passable top six guy would you say yeah so it's I feel bad for Limblom I really do because we saw in 1920 what he could be at his best just I don't know if we're gonna see you before was 30 games was in Mirage. I, I, I have no idea what could have been in, you know, 2019 before his diagnosis. And I always thought that was, you know, it was the outlier of his career in terms of goal production, whether you go back to his early days in Philadelphia or with Lehigh or in Sweden, like he was just never that kind of production. Like, I don't know if he never got, Sick, maybe he could have continued that, and he could have found all the, the offensive confidence in the world and developed into a sniper. But, you know, that was so far the outlier of his career, and he's never been able to pick it up since, you know, whether that was directly, you know, a mirage or not. It's Oh, we have a hot take here, by the way. Somebody would rather trade Cam Atkinson than Travis Konechny. Well, I mean... I don't know if that's a fucking hot take. I think it's more that, like, people, again, just want to trade shit for gold. That's just a classic thing. Like, yeah, if you could swap Cam Atkinson for Mark Shifley, I'd probably do that, too. But why the fuck would the Jets ever do that? Hmm. TK is way more valuable than Cam. Practically set up every goal over the last month plus. Not that it was a lot, but still. Um, TK, oh, thank you, Claude Fella. Yeah. Anyway. But again, like, it's, why are we talking about Cam Atkinson? 92% of 50 votes so far say they would rather trade Travis Konechny, so. I'm pleasantly surprised that the brain deads haven't found this tweet yet. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I just think that Farabee's that one guy that even the massive Konechny fans will, like, not go up against. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, all, all this is all just to say that I don't think that this team is as bad as people think it is. 
That, that's it. And this is not me saying that they're going to be a cup contender next year. I don't. But you make three additions and you get healthy. Because we talked about it. If they were healthy, they were what? Like just outside the playoffs probably? If they were fully healthy all season? Probably. So you bring in a Shifley, you bring in a Chushkin, you bring in uh, a Jan Ruda or a Labushkin or a Mark Pissick. It's not a horrible team. And what could that do for the likes of York or the likes of Farabee or Noah Cates or Carter Hart, Ivan Fedotov? Like you instill a team that's good. It's probably going to do more. It's probably going to do better in the long run for the mentality of these guys. Yeah. And, you know, I think this team absolutely fucking sucks. But you have trade capital here to get two or three guys to make them better and if Katuria comes back healthy and Ellis comes back healthy like all of a sudden maybe they won't suck that bad you know it's just the the injuries ruined everything this year it made a bad team already worse you know if you can make the trades and trade one of your excess wingers for a legitimate center the the you know Konechny for Shifley uh, scenario that we just placed out for you like all of a sudden like you're getting better and you're addressing an area of need you know like crazy thought i know but you know that that's how you get better that alone is a move that makes you better so you know do two or three of those and get the back on track and cross your fingers that Sean Katuri can play and Ryan Ellis decides to fucking you know do whatever the fuck he's doing these days and show up and play next season like all of a sudden things may not be too bad and uh you know you if if Carter Hart can continue to play well he definitely found his game this year I was surprised that his numbers were as low as they were uh, I just wrote about that not too long ago but uh you know I didn't really peep at his uh at his stats but you know I think it was like 905 save percentage but that really you know it's not his fault I think he tried his absolute damnedest more often than not but you know I I, I think if the right moves are made this summer you can at least get back to a semi-respectable level while you're challenged for a wild card spot, which at this point is a pretty big goddamn turnaround from fourth worst in the league. Yeah. And, uh, I, I just, I don't think people really know. Well, like this is my question that, that lineup that we just kind of threw out there, is that better or worse than 1920? Mm, it's not worse. So, at worst, it's on par. Yeah. So, is that a team that could get hot and maybe go to the second round? Yeah. I mean, in a normal playoff format, I have no idea. But, uh, potentially. And the other thing is, is that you would still be playing with house money here. Because imagine you make those deals, and then you are also drafting a Savoy, let's say, this summer, just for argument's sake. And then in 23-24, you have, okay, now Forster's ready. Okay, now Savoy's ready. Okay, now Denoye could maybe crack the lineup. Okay, Zade Widstam is scr- scratching the surface now. Like, then you, you went a full year where you had a successful season, quotation marks, obviously using that term very loosely, and it's uh, and the bar is set extremely low. And then... You move on to 23-24, making the playoffs, you developed, you had a year where some of these young guys enjoyed some success, and now you have more reinforcements on the way that you could be like, okay, so now we could afford to move on from a guy like, I don't know, for argument's sake, like 
who's a guy that you can maybe look to trade at that point. Like Owen Tippett. Like, okay, Owen Tippett had a good year, but we have Forrester here on the cheap, so let's move Owen Tippett for something else that could help us out. Or, okay, so now Cam York is a top-pairing defenseman, so we could explore moving Provorov. Or, you know, you can move on from a more expensive guy like Scott Lawton. At that point, maybe Kevin Hayes has two years left on his contract. So let's try and move him so we could slot Savoy in, and he could be the third-line center behind guys like Shifley and Couturier. Uh, for me, it's that's the, that's a, those are types of moves, just three moves: Ruda, Nchushkin, and Shifley, that would make this team a whole lot better, and you wouldn't be giving up in the way of future assets at the same time. And then next year, you're playing with house money, and then in 23-24, who knows what your young players in the system could be doing on the upswing? So. Obviously, like maybe I'm selling it a bit too positive here, but if you really just dumb down the expectations and look at it objectively, it might not be as bad as we think. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, <sighs> hopefully they make the proper moves this summer. Get rid of some of these fucking players on this current team and change it up a little bit. Get rid of JVR, get rid of fucking Konechny, get rid of... Some of these depth forwards that are complete shit and start turning this around and, you know, give guys like Noah Cates a real chance to succeed next year who looked really good in limited minutes this year. You know, give your defense an opportunity to grow a little bit. Hopefully Ellis comes back and can buoy Provorov a little bit. Like, if things go well, and I realize that that does not happen very much these days in Philadelphia, but if things can go well, like, I don't think this is nearly as bleak of a future as, uh, you know, the the sadists like to paint it out at uh paint it out to be i think it's just one extreme to another you know like entering the 2021 season like the bubble or the covid shortened season we had people project projecting them to win the stanley cup and you and i were sitting here saying just like at best this is like a everyday playoff team and now, like, ever since then, you have them calling for a scorched earth rebuild and to gut the thing top to bottom, and they're the worst team in the league. And you and I are saying, well, it's not that bad. I just think that people have a hard time looking at things from an objective scope. It's always one extreme to another. And objectively, this is a team when fully healthy, if you make a couple of additions here, is not far off from being, you know, an above-average team. Cup contender, no, but if you stay the course with some of these young guys, you can maybe get to that level in two years from now. And you don't have to give up too much in the process. It's just I think people are searching for answers. And the thing about the rebuild, I believe, why people like it latching onto it so much. My God, I'm watching a Patrick Marlowe interview right now. He looks so old. Yeah. <laughs> Ancient. I, I'm just like, how did he play hockey this year? Did he play this year? <laughs> I don't or was think it so. Last I think it was last year. My God, how many times did he go back to San Jose? Like eight? Three, I believe. <laughs> so anyway, like when I look at this team now, and I actually lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Patrick Marlowe's old face kind of sidetracked <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I forgot what I was saying. One last thing, uh, since you seem to have some uh, knowledge of this one. The goaltending situation, they signed Fedotov. Uh, bringing them over one year ELC definitely uh, makes things more interesting with the goalie market. You, you know, Sonstrom maybe in the picture, maybe Martin Jones, maybe somebody else. I, you know, the way they handled 
the goaltending situation the last month or so of the season was really fucking annoying. You know, they they ran Carter Hart into the ground until he got hurt and missed the rest of the year. And then they ran with Jones for a vast majority of the time. Sandstrom basically picking up the pieces now and again. Only played, what, three or four games last month or so of the season. So, I don't know. That did not paint exactly a great picture for Sandstrom's future. Uh, that they may go back to Jones, but now that you got Fedotov here on a one-year deal, is he an NHL guy? Is Sandstrom in the picture? Is Jones in the picture? What do you think uh, ultimately uh, pans out here on the goaltending scene? Well, when that signing was announced on Saturday, I, I texted one of my sources, and I and I just asked, like, does Fedotov impact Sandstrom in any way? And this person said both will have a shot at the backup position. So I think that unless they can find a cheap option to come in and battle for that, you're kind of going to see Fedotov and Sandstrom battle for the backup job. Because I thought for sure once they signed Fedotov, it meant that Sandstrom was gone. Because my theory was originally was that Fedotov would be the starter in the AHL with Ursan. Ustamenko goes back to the ECHL. And then you sign a backup, let's say you re-sign Wedgwood or you re-sign Jones. Maybe you go after a guy like Scott Wedgwood, something along those lines. But then when I brought up Sandstrom and said, is he going to get a new contract? I was told most likely he would and that they would most likely be moving on from Martin Jones. So I really do think the plan here is to replace the backup goaltender, i.e. Martin Jones, with an internal option, which is something that we were clamoring for earlier in the season. So I think what we're going to see most likely is Sandstrom uh, get re-signed, him and Fedotov battle it out for the backup job, and whoever misses out will become the starter in the AHL. And I guess he would tag down there with Urson. Ustamenko, I really haven't touched on at all uh, yet. Like, I think he's an RFA, so in your opinion, would it just make sense for him to be re-signed and sent back to Reading? They could re-sign him, and he could go to the ECHL. I guess that's personal preference at that point, whether he wants to stick around or not. I think he's very clearly the odd man out right now um, between he... Uh, Sandstrom, Urson, and uh, Fedotov. So, I, I, you know, if he wants to come back, I guess they can sign him as you know, an extra body in the scene. But, I mean, he rarely got starts at the Lehigh level this year, let alone, you know, the ECHL. So, you know, I don't know what they ultimately do with him, but I would assume he's the odd man out. And, uh, you know, they could roll with Urson in the AHL. I would not be ultimately surprised if he started the season in the ECHL on a rehab assignment, considering he missed basically all of the season, and they roll with Sandstrom and maybe some random backup in the, you know, Lehigh that they could all time move out if they resign Pat Nagel or something. I have no idea. But, you know, I, uh, it, the, the Fedotov is interesting. I, I don't know if he makes the NHL out of the gate. I would assume the one-year ELC holds their feet to the fire a little bit where they have to kind of knock his socks off in case he, you know, changed his mind and went back to Russia next summer. So they probably have to give him, you know, some kind of bone this year. And But, you know, Sandstrom has earned it. You know, I, I, he's definitely put in the miles here and, and overcame the odds just to fucking make it this far. So, yeah, I would assume Hart's your starter. Some combination of Sandstrom and Fedotov back up next year, whichever one does not, starts in the A, and then Urson eventually, you know, gets back in the EHL and the loser tandems with him uh, for the rest of the season. And I think that's the best course of action. And again, it signals to me that they're not going to 
break the bank on, you know, spending on a good backup. And I really thought that they were going to go get a veteran backup. I was really of that belief. I wasn't for it, but I thought that that's what all signs were indicating. And I think that just the fact that they want a Fedotov or maybe to a lesser extent a Sandstrom to play as the backup next year shows that they are more focused on the future as opposed to the here and now. And that's not to say they want to ice a losing team next season. Like, I think Fedotov has done enough in the KHL to signal that he would be an adequate backup, if not better, in the NHL. But at the same time, if you were gung-ho on becoming, you know, a cup contender next season, putting all your eggs in next year's basket, maybe you'd want to go after, like, a Scott Wedgwood or more of a sure backup, classic veteran backup thing, like we saw this year with Martin Jones. And I do think Martin Jones wasn't nearly as bad as his numbers may have indicated, but the point still stands. So if you go in with Hart and Fedotov as a backup, and that's another young guy that could go with this team, I- I'm for it. I remember you and I saying that it would be we would like to see Sandstrom next year. And I don't think Sandstrom becoming the backup next year is completely out of the realm of possibility. I just think at this point, based on their plays this year, obviously it's not apples to apples. Sandstrom was in the AHL North America. You had Fedotov in the KHL over in Russia. But I still think that it is a good sign that they want to make the backup one of the internal options. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, it all depends on how Fedotov looks coming over to North America. You know, some players succeed and some players do not, especially goaltending. You know, that can be a, a big change for him. So if he looks like he's a capable backup, it's probably his one. If he looks like he's going to struggle and, and need some seasoning in North America, he goes to the AHL and Sandstrom's the guy. You know, he, Sandstrom had nine ten save percentage in five games this year. That's not bad, all things considered. You know, he, he looked very good. And, you know, if Carter Hart plays at his normal Carter Hart self, you know, Jones, before shit went off the, way, the, the rails earlier in the year, he was only playing, like, once every two weeks. You know, so it's not like... It's of the utmost importance that they find a Martin Jones or or somebody that they deem a really good backup because you really don't necessarily need it as long as Hart is good and good to go and the team in front of him is improved. You know, he's you know, the backup's not going to see a lot of time anyway. I think Sonstrom is more than capable of holding down the fort in a backup role, and uh, hopefully Fedotov can be as well. Yeah, I I just think that we're starting to see some moves from this team that signals that they're kind of starting to become more realistic. But I think that for a lot of people, the only acceptable course of action is to start gutting it from top to bottom. So if you're not gutting it from top to bottom, that means that you're still trying to win now. Well, I think that the, they're trying to do something kind of in the middle here. That's why like, I didn't mind the Rosmus Ristolainen re-signing. I don't, because... You don't want to just gut the team. And he worked well with Travis Sanheim. I know people hate Rosas or Salinan. We're never going to agree that he's actually not a horrible 4-5 defenseman. But just taking away the the name of the player, you know, getting a guy who can play on your second pair for $5 million, who's still just 27 years old, I don't see how that's a bad thing. Like, I don't think that you can just litter your team with a bunch of young kids. But I think that people hang on to the whole concept of, you know, drafting prospects and rebuilding, because like we saw in the Hextall years, you can live in a fantasy world where you just make mock lineups and, you know, run to fucking Corey Pronman's latest article and be all so happy and do yippee-ki-yays because they have the top <laughs> five prospect pools, uh, pool in the NHL. 
you can kind of live in that fantasy land as opposed to just evaluating the tangible evidence on the ice. So anyway, I, I just I think that for this is kind of a good approach. Because you also can't just keep icing a competitive hockey or a non-competitive hockey team year after year and expect the casual fans to come back. Like as much as we think that Flyers Twitter is indicative of, you know, all the fans, like that's just a small percentage of super fans who like live and breed this stuff. A lot of fans are casual fans and we see that all throughout the NHL. And I think for casual fans, they could give a shit about, you know, a long-term vision, especially down in Philly. Like, well, you guys saw it with the 76ers, like the whole trust the process rebuild. Did that go through some tough times down there? It was a rough first five years of that uh, trust the process bullshit. Yeah. For the Sixers. And I and I just don't think that the Flyers are in a position where they have to do that. They have to be careful here. They can't trade first-round picks, and they can't trade, you know, prospects like York or, you know, um, Tyson Forster. Like, I remember before this season, I said, depending where they are at the trade deadline, I would consider trading York and Farabee for Dylan Larkin. Now, you absolutely can't do something like that. There's no oh, point yeah. to it. It, it, it. The the approach we had earlier, you know, going all in for Hurdle in the summer if he wasn't re-signed or trading this or that for Larkin, like, that ship has sailed. Like, you, yeah. right now, you got to play a little more conservatively. you got to start, you know, accepting that those guys are the future and kind of cycling out the vets for other vets that are good. You know, the guys that have kind of run their course in Philadelphia, the Konechny's and Provorov's and, and Lindblom's of the world. You cycle them out and get other guys in here that can kind of carry this team like you've tried this group before you've run it back too many times it's time for something new but at the same time you don't want to mortgage the future no so if you just make a couple hockey trades bring in like a guy like nachushkin to give like you know some breath of fresh air to the offense you know just nachushkin and and shifley man like that would change the look about this offense a lot like you swap out like let's say konechny and like Limblom out of the top six to bring in Nachushkin and Shifley. And that pushes Kevin Hayes down to the third line with like Scott Lawton and hopefully a healthy Wade Allison. If not, maybe a Bobby Brink. Like it, it could change the look of this team. Like they don't have bad players. I just don't think that they have. It's at the top. They're not of the in line. optimal situations. Yep. They're like, playing too high in the lineup. Like, you know, like everyone talks about, you know, their favorite top line ever of Farabee, Katori, Konechny. None of those guys are standalone top line players. No. At all. But you throw a Mark Shifley into the mix, and I know that you could say that Katoria is actually just as good, if not better, than Mark Shifley if you base it on analytics and preference. And I guess if you want to bring defense into the mix, I could hear that argument. But as a top line center who would be better off making people around him better, I think Sh- I would rather Shifley in that role to play with a Joel Farabee. And like you said, like Farabee playing with a Mark Shifley. I think at that point you maybe have a 30 goal guy on your hand, like in your hands, not to mention if you have Cam Atkinson playing on the other side, like that would be a pretty cool top line. And then you have a very good second line. If you sign a Val Nachushkin, like if you have a second line of like Nachushkin and Katori and Owen Tippett, that's pretty damn good too. I think that even for a guy like me where, you know, I'm not Sean Couture's biggest fan here. If you make him a full-time second-line center, I think that would be the absolute best way to optimize Sean Couturier. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, at this point, you got to start worrying about 
his long-term career as well. Like, you got to start limiting his minutes. You got to start giving him some favorable matchups. Like, you cannot continue to ride this guy as hard as they have the last few years because he's here for eight more years at $8 million. You know, putting him on the second line, giving him the defensively favored responsibilities and letting Shifley play the offensively heavy minutes. That's ideal. (laughs) You got to start uh, conserving Sean Couturier a little bit here so you can squeeze the most out of him in the long term versus one or two more good years and then six years of complete and utter shit. Yeah. Well, I I, I know I'm in the minority here, but I, I think I trust this management group to do the right thing. As do I. Yeah, you're in the same boat too? Yeah. I guess it's just every time Fletcher talks and like you kind of get reassured because he's not an idiot as much as people think he no. is. I just don't think he's overly creative. I think that's his biggest flaw. I would agree. It's just, I mean, I still, on an individual level, there's very little that I think he's overly done wrong as far as moves are concerned. It's just for one reason or another, they always fucking backfire, you know. But, uh, you know, overall, I, I still think that he knows what's up. And hopefully he and Breer can lock Dave Scott in a fucking broom closet somewhere and, you know, run the draft day in free agency and then let him out afterwards and be like, hey, we didn't sign Kadri, sorry. <laughs> you know? So hopefully... uh <laughs> Hopefully something like that happens, and, you know, if they just play their cards right and accept that next year's not going to be a rebuild or a competitive season, like, I do think your future's better because of it. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that 100%. Well, anything else you want to uh, get off your chest before we wrap it up? Uh, I like watching playoff hockey. That's pretty damn cool. It's fun watching good, competitive, interesting, exciting hockey, isn't it? Oh, actually, I did want to ask you one thing. Because I upset a lot of people with a tweet I put out about Crosby and the Penguins on the weekend. What's your take on that, about what I said? I just respect the guy now. I'm like, hey, this guy's kind of good. You know, in 2012, when the rivalry was at its absolute peak, like, fuck Sidney Crosby, I hate this guy. But now I'm like, he's probably only going to be around for a couple more years. We don't exactly get to see player of his caliber every day. Like, I just kind of respect him now. If that makes me a bad fan or whatever, so fucking be it. But at this point, like, that's that I firmly stand in that corner. But, like, even just the team as a whole, man, like, <laughs> they just don't die. No? They're <laughs> just, like, and, you know, I am... Um... I picked them to win that series, but, like, everyone, like, the Rangers were the sexy pick, right? You know, like, coming out with the rebuild, Panarin, Fox, all these guys, Shesterkin, all that. But, like, I just – and this was a series, actually, that I based a lot of my opinion on the underlying numbers because I think this is when, like, a situation when, you know, analytics can help you. But I was just looking at everything. I'm just like, you know, like, nothing tells me that the Rangers are a better hockey team than the Pittsburgh Penguins – even onto their third string goalie. And I think we're seeing that now. I just have a lot of respect for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, you know, we saw them outlast, you know, the Kings. We saw them outlast the Blackhawks. They're probably going to outlast the Bruins to a certain extent. They've certainly won more cups than the Bruins, you know, three since the, since 2009. I just don't know the next time we're going to see a team last as long as the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I just think it, from my vantage point, you just have to respect it while it's lasting. Yep. And, you know, especially going into this offseason when Malkin and Latang are both uh, unsigned 
Maybe some uh, some changes happen there. We all know Ron Hextall is in charge of that team now, so you know, good fucking luck Pittsburgh in the future. But um, you know, for right now, they're still uh, clinging on to uh, the success that they once had. Somehow, yeah. with fucking absolutely nobody's on that team and third string goalie, but they're doing it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's the last thing I wanted to get off my chest. <laughs> well, on that note, everyone, we'll call it a day here. Uh, doing a sisterly pod tonight. That'll probably go up Friday. New frequent flyer will probably go up Sunday. We're going to record that Friday. So, and then next week, we'll uh, pick back up with Shane on Monday and uh, see how the chips shake out from there. So, uh, at Dan the Flyer Fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. You can check out the website, brotherlypuck.com. All kinds of fun stuff. If you want to call or text us, 267-227-0328. Uh, all the world's questions Shane and I will answer on Monday. So, uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at AdamMarco25. All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night.